Thank you to the Make-A-Wish, you know, thank you to the Make-A-Wish. And they give us the crappiest seats. We're sitting in the third level. I swear to God, we were like the second row to the last. And I swear, they, they should have just given us obstruction seats. But, I mean, but it was nice. But you think, because they do such a great, you know, uh, charity to society, they would give them something good. But they didn't, and it's okay. But the one thing that I didn't understand was, and we took the subway down, because, you know, we drive from Burbank to North Hollywood, take the subway, it's a nice little walk, because it's beautiful out. I can't understand, because we got home at midnight. No, 11.30, we, we caught Letterman. I can't understand how many kids were at the game. Not like, not like you know, teenagers. Like, I can understand it. But like four-year-olds and five-year-olds and eight-year-olds. And I'm, I was in shock, because when I was little, when I was that age, I mean, we were in bed by eight, and it just drove me crazy. Anyway, enough about that. It was fun, though. They lost, because the Lakers stink. But it was fun. So, anyway, we have a great guest today. And uh, he has an amazing resume. I've seen him in so much stuff. And he's one of those guys, you see him, and you go, okay, I know that face. And then you look at his IMDb, and you go, holy God, he's got like 150 credits, and not like independent movies. I mean, like, Big movies, and our guest is Mark Ross. And how you doing, Mark? Hey, Steve, what's up, man? So, are you are you a sports fan at all? Uh, absolutely, but I'm a Clipper watcher. So, okay. See, now the funny thing is, I just I'm not I'm not into pro basketball. I think I love college basketball. Yeah, me too. But the pro basketball, it's just it's like to me a bunch of babies. It seems like they're all babies. And the game last night was just it's sort of boring until the last minutes, and then they're losing. So then you leave. Right. So you so you're Clipper. So how's it become a Clippers fan? Well, it was kind of a default, you know, once the, the Lakers started to stink, you know, and then, you know, with the great players that the Clippers have, although they're having their troubles as well. Um, I, I, re I really sort of gravitated them just because of the players that they've got, and they should be doing a whole lot better. But you know what? Everybody, I, I agree, you know, before the All-Star break, break, who cares? Right. You it's, know, it's all after that, and with, with any pro team, with any pro sports, I think even football, you know, it's really best to wait until the playoffs. Cause that's when the guys let it all hang out anyway. You right. know, they're all protecting themselves, don't want to get injured, and you know. But you know, it's it's interesting to see. Like, the, I wonder if the most cohesive teams that are playing now, um, you know, like uh, um, Toronto. I mean, Toronto and Atlanta. A Atlanta. I mean, no. And well, you're you're from the D you're from well, DC. Yeah, yeah. The DC. The 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 uh, Wizards, Wizards look great. Wizards have been playing well. They hit a little rough patch just recently, but yeah, they've they've they're big big team, but. Um, It'd be interesting if these guys are playing so well now, carry on in the second half of the season. Right. But, uh, yeah, by rights, the Clippers should be... I mean, I'm surprised they didn't go further in the playoffs last year, but... It's it's basketball. It's basketball. So you're from Baltimore. Yeah. We talked about that. And yeah. now, I read that... You know, you moved when you were six or seven, you said, to D.C. Yeah. Now, I read something. I don't know if it's true, but you knew you wanted to be an actor when you were nine before how okay it's just so funny because you know when i was little i wanted to be a sportscaster because i loved sports i mean i would re i knew every stat i was like i think i was an idiot savant i mean i knew every like you could say hey uh you know the padres give us the and i looked back east so you know the padres give us the bat starting lineup and i would do it and i and i gravitated from that how did you know as a young kid i mean what brought you to sit there and say i want to be an actor because it's such a young age yeah that you don't I mean, you don't really know what's going on. Did you watch something and got enthralled or what Absolutely. Happened? You know, it was like um, my dad worked for IBM and he was a single parent. Um, so we all had the, you know, the weekends we had to adopt some hobby. Right. Okay. And, you know, my brother played guitar. My sister did ballet and I did some theater classes. As a little kid? As a kid. Okay. Just because I had to do something. Like my dad said. You have no choice. You got to get out of the house because he had to clean and do laundry and with us out of his hair. 
So I did these uh, theater classes at the Washington Theater Club. It was a sort of a, how would you say, uh, off-Broadway type theater in D.C. Um, you know, they have the Arena Stage, which is like the primary repertory company there. Um, and this guy called Frank Johns uh, got me started, let's say. But uh, we were only allowed to watch so much TV. So my choice was that I wanted to watch the Bowery Boy comedies okay. on Saturday mornings. You remember those? Oh, yeah. You know, I we'll date, we'll date ourselves. I'm 51. I'm 56. And, and I, I remember the little Rascals. I was, I was a devout Rascals fan. But like the old Rascals, like when, when Spanky was cute, not when he was like, <laughs> and they only had annoying fat Spanky. Right, right. And no, so the Bowery Boys, though, I remember seeing them, and that was a little before me. And I think for me as a little kid, I didn't really understand it. I mean, I remember the Stooges, and I remember that. But the Bowery Boys was, now there was two of them there. They were always getting in trouble. Oh, they were a whole, they were a whole team, and there was like five or six okay. of them. But I mean, Leo Gorsi was like the tough guy, and I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, Satch was his, uh, the nickname of the character, but uh, he was the comic relief. And I remember sitting in my room watching the Bowery Boy comedies and laughing my ass off. And I ran downstairs and I said, Dad, you know how your parents used to say, like, so what do you want to be when you grow up type thing? Um, you know, went from a fireman to, right. you know, all the ridiculous. A stuff. cowboy. You're not going to be a yeah. cowboy. You live, you live back east in the suburbs. <laughs> you know, there's no way you're being a cowboy. Exactly. So uh, I ran downstairs. And I was like, Dad, 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 I know exactly what I'm going to be. He's, he's in his office. He's like, yeah, what? I said, I'm going to be a movie actor. And my father almost fell out of his chair <laughs> laughing. I mean, he laughed so hard. And it wasn't until much, much later that, you know, I kind of like went away. I played basketball a lot, um, you know, in high school and stuff. And um, it was much, much later when I actually came back and I said, Pop, you know, I'm, I'm going to really go for it. I'm going to become an actor. I want to train in London. I had applied secretly and uh, I wanted to get get myself to London and then once I got there I got into like eight different acting schools. Well, was this when you were in high school you started applying or were you older out of high school? I was I was just, it was like my junior year of college. Okay, now where were you going to college? Frostburg State. Little, know, Fro yeah, you know Frostburg State? Yeah, I have a friend, yeah. my friend Amy went there. It's uh, it's in it's in Maryland. Well, yeah, it's, it's, Frostburg, it's, it's Maryland. Western Maryland, yeah, north of Cumberland. It's wow, okay. freezing cold. So your junior, your junior year, you decide you want to go to London and... And I got into this uh, program. It was a junior year abroad program and they had... They sucked me in by saying that I would be able to study at the Royal Academy. Well, this is when I arrived in London. Imagine this. I arrive in London thinking this is true and totally bogus. Okay. <laughs> but luckily for me, just like, you know, the serendipitous things that happen to you in life, um, I, the woman running the theater program, um, her husband was a fairly prominent TV film actor, a guy called Anton Rogers. He's passed now. But he came in to direct us in a bunch of Chekhov one X And... Um, while he was doing this, he just became friendly and he inquired, so what are you going to do when you finish this year here at Richmond College? And I said, I'll go back and finish my degree, I guess. And he just said, no, you're not. You're, you're, you're going to get a professional training. He said, he said, you're an actor. So that was a bit of a little bit of a shock to my dad. But uh, I went home and I said, Pop, you know, I'm, 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 I've got into these drama schools and I want to go and I'm going to forego the rest of the time at Frostburg. And you know, he, he was great. He was so supportive. He just said, you know, Technology is going to race ahead. People are going to, you know, have less and less to do. There'll be fewer jobs because of technology, and you know, most losers will be sitting on their couch watching TV. 
So they may as well watch you. That's that's you know that's so funny. That's <laughs> that's such an amazing way to look at it. You know, it's just something because back then, I mean, you know, you think about it. I mean, I remember when I got out of college, I sold fax machines when they were when they were first big. Because I couldn't sell copiers because I had a little Fiero and they wouldn't fit in my car. But I remember I sold a fax machine for $10,000 and it was this big Xerox. And I knew nothing about it, but I just bullshitted. But it's funny because then you thought, you know, you never thought technology would go, the, oh my God, the fax. And now to see it back then, and he's right, because when start started happening, people were just a lot more than a TV coming out. So it's he very soft the future. It's very interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's fascinating. And then to see... Just the way technology. I mean, I, I remember, just a segue here. Yeah. Um, uh, my dad used to take us on weekends to his office, which was like a mainframe computer, which took up an entire floor of a building. And he'd point at it and he'd go, yeah, well, this is the computer. And it would go on for like, you know, would yeah. seem miles. <laughs> and I'm like five or six years old. And he said, he said, well, you know, Mark, you know, soon, not too distant future, and he pulled his pack of cigarettes out. He said, all this is going to be this big. And I remember sitting there just thinking, what? I mean, it didn't compute. Like, you're going to compress all this and it's going to be that size? Well, you know, guess what? What do we have today? Oh, I know. Yeah. It's amazing. Like, for me, I mean, I put, I mean I've, I'm showing him my USB disk. I have, like, honestly, I have 100-hour shows on her easily. And, and it's not even, and it's amazing. And you sit there and you go, wait, you know, how can, you know, this because I remember what you're talking about, the computer rooms yeah. that were giant. So Punch that's cards. crazy. So now you're in London. Yeah. And now now did you, why did you choose London in the first, after, to stay there? Because so many people, when they train, they come back stateside because yeah. for an American, the industry is here. I mean, there's right. amazing theater in London. But why did you choose to study there instead of coming back and, let's say, go to Juilliard or, or something like that? Yeah, well, it's interesting. Um you know, it was kind of like London chose me okay. <laughs> in a lot of ways. I mean, I was literally, I was in the theater program at Frostburg State. I'd done a couple of really good things. And then I was cruising through the student union building. I see study abroad. And I thought, oh, what the hell? Let me see what it's all about. Send it in. Uh, you know, and uh, arriving in London was amazing because, oh, my God, I can't tell you. The, I mean, the things that I saw as a young guy. I mean, right. just phenomenal actors and amazing shows and um, it was really due to Anton, you know, he sort of, he kept pushing it, you know, that I get a professional training and he more or less like, he poo-pooed a Juilliard or okay. a Yale or whatever. Um, and, and he also, he really had in mind what school I was going to go to because every time I get into a place like the Bristol Old Vic or the London Academy, he was like, he said, that's great, but you're not going there. And he, you know, the Drama Center London was the place I was going to go and, Amazing, you know, place. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a, it had a, it was the only school that had a method-based training. Okay. And an American lady, a woman called Doreen Cannon, who was protege to Uta Hagen, who has a very famous book called Respect for Acting. So I got all the American training in London and combined with an amazing classical training. Um, and that was the reason why I stayed was because I really wanted to be you know, classical actor for the Royal Shakespeare Company. That was my dream. Now, now, when you got done with your schooling, did you stay over there for a while? I did. And, okay, so you started doing, were you getting theater parts? Uh, I was getting everything, theater parts, TV parts, in, voiceover, in, in, in London, England. yeah. Because okay. I saw on your resume, one of your first uh, 
well, it starts in 82. It's a uh, Ekasu Bamba. It's a voice part. Well, that was my first professional gig. Okay. Um, was I did a lot of voiceovers. Because there was a shortage of young American voices. In England. In England. Okay. And um, I did a, a, an amazing series, a Japanese uh, cartoon series called Starfleet. And I played this little guy called Johnny Lee. And uh, did it for a couple of years. It, it got me my first car. I mean, now how did you decide to do the voice stuff? Because I mean, you're you're a trained theater actor, and voice is so different because it's acting. But everyone I know who's coming, who's done voice, says, you know, it's you're by yourself. You're in a room. It's it's a completely different thing. I mean, you you yeah. are doing acting, but was that a oh, that must have been a weird digression? Not a digression, not a step back because it was a pay work, but because you're still acting. But it's something that you're this trained, you know, you're Shakespearean trained. And then you're doing a voice. I mean, was yeah. it easy? Did it come easily to you? Or I've I think it would be a, challenging. I've always been a mimic. So okay. got me into a lot of trouble as a kid. you know. Right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I just, I, I, I love that kind of work. I still do it. But um, again, you know, if you have to give kudos to people who sort of shaped your career in certain ways, this guy called Louis Elman, who had a company called Lip Sync uh, in London, and he would do the lip syncing for all the big movies I mean huge movies and those are the old days when they'd have you know the band that would run at the bottom of the movie screen and they had someone do calligraphy like in sync to the screen it was, it was the most diabolical job right L lady I actually rented a room from uh, Maggie Dickey she uh, did this kind of work and Jesus Christ she, she must have gone blind oh yeah I mean it's it's now they have the even the people now when you see the graphics like on TV I know my buddy's fiance does that and what they do is like ESPN someone types that you know and they type it and I always you know I always text him when I see something wrong it's not her working but I always laugh when they just screw it up <laughs> it, it's like it's like the closed captioning sometimes right. you go and you sit there and go how that works not even close like right. wood and it's like completely different yeah yeah so so you, you did that was your first you were doing a yeah and this guy Louis Elman I mean once I did this Johnny Lee character uh, and this was in London yeah okay and then I ended up doing things like uh, this is a funny anecdote um, so I did I voiced uh, Jackie Chan in some of Jackie Chan's like best movies like Drunken Monkey and I did like three of them so I'm you know I did Rush Hour and Jackie's a sweetheart you know um, one of those generous like stars I've ever worked with but uh, we're on set and he's, he's an amazing guy like in between takes he does not move an inch wow he doesn't go to get a coffee he doesn't run off to go talk to his publicist or whatever that's probably all that discipline he has just from being a martial arts expert I mean it has to be that psyche where it's like you stay yeah yeah so so you know uh, we were standing there and I just said I said so Jackie like why don't you move or go sit in your chair he said no 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 can't waste time no, it can't waste time. He said, you know, uh, it drives me crazy here in America. You know, uh, they say, uh, okay, rolling, speed, uh, okay, action. Like, this is too much time. In, in, in Hong Kong, we just go, okay, action. It, it saves the film. That's, that's just insane. I mean, it's so funny, though. I mean, it's just so crazy because, you know, but now did, did he know you did his voices? Well, there's the thing. So we're standing there one day, and I just thought, you know, can't leave the, the guy standing there. We chit-chat. So I said, Jackie, you know, funny thing, you know, I revoiced your movies. And man, he looked at me and he was like, No! You! <laughs> me! No, that's impossible. No, you you can't be me. But yeah, that's where I really got my start. I did a bunch of Jackie Chan uh, films and then this guy, Louis Elman, like, kept having me back. And So you would go in and you would do an Asian voice? You would, you, you, no, no, that was the thing. Uh, they were revoicing it for the American market. So you, I mean, no, but you would do, you would be the... 
Or would you uh, speak, would you speak your did, normal voice? Or would, well, yeah, I spoke in a normal okay. voice. Okay, they wanted to Americanize it. And then, uh, but obviously when I did all the fighting sequences, I was, you know, <laughs> right, right. You know, and that was Chinese. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> <laughs> So now, now, how long did you stay in London? Overall, I stayed in there for 12 years. Okay, so when you left, now, now what made you leave London? I mean, did you sit there and say, I want to pursue in, to come to America? Or did, had you, when you were in London, had you gotten any work in America or no? Yeah, interestingly enough, uh, in between uh, graduating from drama school, um, I went home for a short stint and I, I toured out of New York um, with the National Shakespeare Company. I played Richard II and we toured for a whole year. When that ended, I was then married to an English girl, and um, you know we love being in New York, but poor thing, I mean, she's she's a very fine actress and producer still, um, but she just couldn't get arrested. She was like the typical English rose, you know, just little you know, rosy cheeks right. and round face, and you know that's in America, you know. Yeah, they don't. Everybody's they don't. right. So she was having a hell of a time. So we moved back to London, and um, we both, you know, worked a lot. Um, so follow on. I'm mean, sorry. Sorry. The, uh, no, I said no. Could so okay. So, so you, why you, 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 yeah. you, had, you had got some work, but you end up staying. Yeah. So then after you said you were there for 12 years, and it seems like you were doing very successfully. I mean, yeah, it did you, really, really well. And then what happened was, I was knew in the back of my head, if ever I was going to go back home, I really had to go on the heels of a big, big project. So I was cast in this movie called Revolution. Um, with Al Pacino, uh, Hugh Hudson, who did uh, Chariots of Fire. It was his next big movie, and it, uh, it sank um, a film studio <laughs> because it was such a bomb. But um, right after finishing that, I had an interview with Gail Ann Hurd, um, big producer, you know, and, she, and it was a movie called Aliens, Jim Cameron's Aliens. And I walked into that meeting. Well, Aliens was the first or second? The second one. Okay. Yeah, the sequel. Okay. Um, Cameron, yeah, but uh, Ridley Scott, right? The first one. Okay. And I walked into that meeting with Gail, and I lied my ass off. What'd you say? She was like, you know, typical. So what have you been up to? And I said, well, I just finished this movie with Al Pacino, and she was like, really? What did you do? And I told this story that made it sound like I had the next best part in this movie <laughs> to Al Pacino, and it just rolled off my tongue, and I didn't stop. Well, that's acting. Though. I just, but that's what that's only what time I've ever done that. Really, what was your part in Revolution? It was a nothing role. It was like I, I, I was. It was interesting. I was supposed to go up there for two weeks. I ended up going there for two months. Wow. And um, I just had to just uh, you know nondescript kind of role and I played did various and sundry things you know and no real well one big scene with uh, with Al um, but really all I did was like hand him a clipboard and it's two months work so you can't you can't complain about that it was great no yeah. it was really great and so you didn't have to yeah. right down the street from this hotel um, was a, a Lynx golf course it was in this place called Hunstanton which is on the wash it's like a big bay up in uh, north of England, just north of Sandring, where the, they have one of the royal estates. But this area was 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 really known because in the wash, imagine it's like an inlet, in low tide, the sea goes all the way out. Okay. And people used to use this as a shortcut to get from Hunstanton across to Lincolnshire because otherwise you have to go down and around, and if you're on a carriage, it'd take forever. Well, the trick is, is you know, people take their carriages across, and occasionally 
they get stuck okay. in the mud, and here comes the sea back, and the sea would just consume them. Um, but anyway, digress. Uh, on this little inlet we were on, there was a Lynx golf course. And it was like 10 bucks to play for the whole day. Wow. So I didn't care that I was there for two months because I would play 36 holes a day. Just me. You know, they had the sheep right. mowing, <laughs> mowing this stuff down. It was a fabulous golf course. Um, but then that led to you know me lying my ass off with Gail. And Gail obviously bought it. Uh, sorry, Gail, if you ever listen to this. But um, And then met with Jim Cameron. And boom, you know, once we were in Aliens. And I knew it was a big movie. But thanks to Bill Paxton, Bill just kept bugging the shit out of me. I mean, he people literally call me every week. Mark, man, dude, you got to come over. It's going to be huge, man. This is going to be incredible. So I was just like, really, Bill? He said, Mark, you don't know. Come on, you can stay at my house. And I came over for the premiere. And five days later, I was starring in a movie with Lance Henriksen, and it was over. I never went back. So you never went back. So you just came back, and then you started, you know. And now coming off of that, because it was such a big movie. I mean, I mean, all those aliens, especially back then, it was like, it was different. I mean, I still remember the first one. You oh, still it's a great show. It, and it, they were all great. So, so after that, you were sort of, I guess, but the industry probably really didn't know you that well when you were in that because you were this, you were successful over in England, an American in England, and that, and it's probably for, and out here in LA, they're probably like, wait a second, this guy was, he went and trained and, and he didn't come here, but you know, what's wrong with him? Oh, <laughs> he doesn't want to be an actor, even though he's yeah. making money while other people are waiting tables over here. <laughs> so how did, the, how did the, uh, did you get management and agency right away because yeah. you were in this movie? I mean, did they sit there and did they bring you open arms because you were in this movie that was a hit, even though you were, it's the old thing when they say an overnight success. You know, even though you were an unknown somewhat here, you were known over there. You had worked. So, I mean, how, how do people react? Like to, When you went to an agency, how did an agency react? It was amazing because, I mean, on the, on, you're, you're in a hit movie, huge, huge movie. Um, doing amazing box office. I walked into like 17 different rooms I just on the strength of that. Got an agent at the old Paul Conner agency and uh, Mr. Conner, God bless him, was still alive and um, just continued on from there. It was, it was a, really like the right time to do it. And like I say, within five days, Lance Henriksen was, gonna, was slated to star in this movie, um, Oh, I'm gonna forget the director's name. He did all the Phantasm movies. I'm not sure. Oh, okay. Anyway, but um, it was called Survival Quest. Amazing cast. I like Dermot Mulroney, Catherine Keener, Lance, me, uh, Dominic Hoffman, Paul Provenza. You probably know Paul. From Paul's that. been on the show. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So Paul was in that, and um, it was really a qu quite a good little uh, indie film, um, and then it just steamrolled from there. I, I, I just didn't stop for. Years and years. What was it like, you know, when you said it's a little indie film, and you know, and you you were on the basically that was the beginning of indie film. I mean, you know, I mean, when you think about it, like Louis Lombardi was on, and he's talked about going to Sundance. Now he had gone to Sundance years ago when Sundance was just indie movies, and now it's huge. What was it like? I mean, because you come you come from this big budget Aliens, and then after that you do this indie movie, right? right. What was that like? Just because indie back then was. It was cool. I mean, now it's like sort of like it's sort of trite. It's like very, you know. But what did did you know like that you guys were on sort of a for? I mean, you were on a forefront of something that would change the industry. I mean, did you know when you were on like just did you because you came from that big budget aliens? Then you're on the smaller budget, and there's has to be a different feel. I mean, what was that oh, like absolutely. feeling it as an actor? It must have been just uh, just 
it's such a transition. Yeah, it is. It's a big transition. But the the best part about it was was, and someone like Lance Henriksen, you know, Lance, he he gets into everything he does in, in an amazing way, um, and we all just kind of rode that energy and enthusiasm just to make you know make this a really good movie. And if you imagine, I mean, look at that cast. Well, yeah, it's amazing. They, they, they've all gone on to do amazing things. Um, and the, in fact, the movie that I did right after that was uh, technically an indie, but starring Nick Nolte, a movie called Weeds. Yeah. Prison yeah. movie, great, great script and uh, amazing cast. I mean, we had Ernie Hudson and Joe Montaigne and uh, Bill Forsyth and myself and um, Nick, of course. It was just like an amazing cast. But indie, you know, and, and, and you know, the, the, the scripts were great. You know, wasn't, it, and I think it's true today, even like the, the, Indie movies, of course, the industry's contracted in a horrible way. But uh, indie films, if you look at it, they're the ones that generally garner a lot of the uh, awards. And, you know, case in point this year, look at Boyhood. Yeah. Look I just, Boyhood. It's, you know, it's funny. Um, we watched that uh, a few Saturdays ago. And it's one of those things. And it's like anything. It's a Saturday. You know, it's like, all right, you know, we're going to watch this. We're going to chill out. Yeah. And then you see, you go, man. Two hours and forty minutes. Now you always think of two hours and forty minutes. You like you know, unless it's Goodfellas or something. You go okay, and then you sit there and it starts and it's it starts slow. It's a slow movie, but it never you never feel like it's. I, mean, I don't I don't mean slow like it's. Slow. It's just it's it's a slow uh, in a good way, and then it ends, and you go wow, that was two forty. It doesn't seem like it, and I it was agree. amazing. And just the transition of the kid, and just you know, it's it's just you, know, you think about how someone did that. I mean, that'd be like someone saying to you, you know, years ago, let's start this project, and then it comes to fruition ten years later or twelve years. I mean, that's that's just amazing. That is, it's phenomenal. And, you know, initially, you know, my wife and I did the same thing. You know, she was like, oh, I'm not going to sit down for two hours and forty minutes. It's so long. Somebody said it was, you know, nothing happened. I had one buddy. He was like, Oh, you're going to hate it. He said nothing happened in this movie and I was totally enthralled I mean it's totally sucked me and I agree with you it you didn't didn't seem like it was two hours and 40 no. minutes but and I thought perhaps shooting over the course of 12 years it was gonna be a gimmick not at all man I, I just think it was phenomenal it sort of resonated with me just you know a lot of the little historical things that they, they made reference to like res resonated with me as well um, I think it was really, really well done. And it's yeah. great because then that also you see how time changes. Like I always do that when like, I sit there and uh, if I find like an old Law and Order, you know, <laughs> and, like the old ones and like back with like Orbach when he was with uh, <laughs> um, Chris Knott. And it's the same thing. You watch it and you go, you see how much technology has changed. You know, just like with that when you watch the crime lab. And then you see CSI now and you go, holy crap, wait a second, something, you know, it said that was it. So so that's, you know, so the independent, and you're right, independent's still around, but it's not, I think the term, I mean, I didn't see Birdman. I heard that's very good, independent very, very player. Good. And it's great because I love Michael Keaton and it's some, you know, I have to see it. It comes out in video next week. I haven't gone through the movie. Oh, you'll dig it. It's it's very original. So after after these movies, Independence, you're working a lot. See, you're doing TV. You're doing TV movies. You're going back and forth. You're going back and forth. You're constantly working. I mean, and you look at the credits. It's like, you know, in 1990 itself, you have RoboCop 2, Heatwave. You have like eight eight movies. I mean, that's a great amount of work. So, yeah. I know, you know, you, so you're constantly working. And you're going from project to project. And and then you end up on uh, Shawshank Redemption. Now, now it's funny because as you say, and you've, you've already to that point, you've already worked with a great cast and some great projects. And to me, Shawshank Redemption is one of my favorite movies. Now, when you got cast for that, was it a long audition process? And did you know that it would just become, I mean, that's one of those movies, it's, 
it's a popular cult movie. Like every, I don't, I don't know anyone. If I go out, you know, and, and you talk movies, I don't know anyone who ever goes, oh, that movie sucked. Like everybody, you know, there's some movies people go, oh yeah, Fargo was too slow. It sucked. But that movie, I mean, how did that pro, how did that role come along? Did you know it would be such a just a big hit? It's amazing, you know, when um, you know you through the course of your career, you know, we read a lot. You read, I read a lot of stuff, and I can count on one hand the ones that absolutely jump, jumped off the page and just, they, they, they kind of scream at you, you know, this is important, this is great. Aliens was one of those scripts. I mean, I must have buzzed through that script in like 45 minutes. It was so, it just moved. And Shawshank, I mean, you read that thing and you just went, oh my God, I've got to be in this thing. And when I went in for my first meeting, um... Uh, Deborah Quillo, the casting director, she said, so so, what role? And I really wanted them to read me for Hadley, you know, the, the evil guard. Okay. And she, kind of, she said to me, no, that's that's already been cast. I was like, really? I said, but, but read me, but read me for it. Read me. She's like, Mark, um, just why, what other character would you like to, she was very pointed, what other character would you like to do? Why did you want that role of Hadley? Just because you wanted to play a, a, a... Oh, it's so juicy. Just That's just one of those things that like you want to just suck, you sink your teeth into it and just yes, go, man, this, I can be a and dick. Because most actors I know when I talk to them, they love that role. Like They love the role that people just hate you. You yeah. know, it's like, and it's so funny, and it's, you know, like Xander Berkeley was on, the same thing. You guys, it's so, and so many of you just sit there and you go, you know, you know, it's like, and because you're all, you're all pleasant looking, you're all pleasant right. gentlemen, and it's right. just so funny because you all want that role, because that role, I mean, you just hate that guy. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I've got a, a load of anecdotes for you. Um, just on, on, on the idea of it being hateful. So, um, my youngest child, just been born, I was taking her down to Cedars for just a checkup, you know. But she was like, eh, three months or something. Get her out of the car. She's asleep. It's okay. So I've got her on my shoulder. Get into the elevator. And just before the elevator doors close, this woman kind of bursts through and kind of looks at me and she turns away. We're riding up and then suddenly she reels around and she goes, oh my God, you're that man and you have a child? I, and she wakes my daughter up, and I'm like, lady, <laughs> Jesus Christ, I'm an actor, for God's sake. What, what, what do you, I'm an actor, please. And my daughter's crying now, and it was like, and then right after Shawshank was out, I was uh, um, coming across the, the country and uh, stopped out in New Orleans. I was just having a meal, and this lady comes up to me, and she hands me a pink balloon. She goes, here, tie this to your pecker. And I was like, What? And I said, oh, Christ, okay, she, she's seen Shawshank, all right. Then the last one, I'm in Costco with my entire brood. You know, I have three children. And we're just wheeling through Costco grocery shopping. And this lady said, you're disgusting. <laughs> right in front of my kids. And I'm like, what? She goes, you're disgusting in that movie. And, and my kids are like, Daddy, Daddy, why'd she say that to you? I was like, no, don't worry, because I didn't never let my kids watch right. until they were kind of of age. But, um, yeah, I mean, delicious character and uh, amazing process because, you know, I read it and automatically it jumped off the page. And then the reason why I got cast, this isn't a funny one, so I'm going in for my second meeting to really to read for Boggs Diamond. And I keep seeing down the hallway this guy he keeps popping in and out of a room and staring at me and like stuff and just whispering to somebody else and pointing at me and I'm like I had no idea who it was get into the room 
It's Frank Darabont. Okay. He he was an Aliens fanatic and remembered me as Drake. <laughs> so when we got in the room, he's like, he's like, dude, I can't believe I'm meeting you. You're like, you're Drake. And I was like, oh, so now the penny dropped. Oh, this is it. Totally different characters. Um, but when we finally got to Mansfield, Ohio, where we filmed it, and cast is assembled for the initial read-through, and we're in this cavernous, uh, what was the mess hall. It was, so it's, it's, it's in an actual old prison? or Oh, yeah. Okay, so it's actually, okay. Oh, yeah, it was, it was the uh, um, Ohio State Penitentiary okay. Mansfield, um, built in like 1860-something, 1863 or 7, um, and after we finished, they kept the main building. The main building has now become like a tourist attraction, like a Shawshank attraction. They tore down all the back buildings, all the outbuildings that we actually used, a number of them. But we all sat down to do the read-through and in this cavernous thing, and we, as soon as Morgan started the first words, which are voiceover in the film, we, the room just hushed. And it was the most electric reading of a piece I've ever ever heard it's it's amazing because that's one of those things also it's like when when you if you didn't really know about it and you heard okay wait it's about a prison and it's called Shawshank Redemption you're going ah what the hell is that mm -hmm. but then you see who's in it and then Darabont was pretty much unknown yep and it's and every, a lot of people know it was based on a Stephen King novella but um it's one of those movies yeah when you watch it you just go and and you're right like just Morgan Voiceman Morgan Freeman's voiceover I miss my friend Andy Lafrain. You know, it just, boom, it hits you. Sucks in now, every single time. Now, did you get to go to the, you got nominated for an Oscar, right? Yeah. Now, did you get to go? Like, I the, did. So so what was that like? I mean, oh, man. I mean, it's, was that your first Oscars? First and only. Okay, now, yeah. what's that like? Because you sit there, you go in and you do this movie, and you know it when you feel, it said, you know, when you felt it at the table read, you knew it was going to be something good. But also, when you did Revolution, you probably thought that was going to be big because it was Pacino, and it's, you know, Revolution, and it's a, big money yeah so you know it's going to be a big hit and it wasn't a big hit when it came out did horrible box office but horrible you know, so what was it like so when, when they sit there and they get does someone call you and go hey hey guess by the way mark you're going you're going to the oscars i mean how's that happen uh, it was it was it was luck again uh our producer uh, nikki marvin um I, we were at a party at darabon's house and she said hey um i don't have a date for the oscars would you escort me and I said, you're kidding me. Really? She goes, yeah, well, you know, you have to get a tie. I'll do whatever you want. Right. You know, my God, of course I'll escort you. <laughs> so uh, my wife, you know, relented and, uh, you know, got the tux and, uh, you know, escorted Nikki down the red carpet and everything. And it was phenomenal. Just, you know, you're sitting there and then, well, there's Steven Spielberg and, you know, all the luminaries that you know, you know and have never met. Um, sadly, you know, we had seven nominations and got blanked. We didn't go home with one stinking award that year though i mean if if i'm trying to remember back for best picture though it was shawshank i think it was pulp fiction i think it was forrest gump, forrest gump and four weddings and funeral which really didn't fit in it. but then there was like another one it was such a strong strong, strong. year that i mean you know pulp fiction of course pulp fiction is gonna get the screenwriting even because it was different you know i mean yeah. it's just something different i mean even though well, but you, i certainly thought and that was original screenplay that it got for i thought frank would have won best adaptation right I don't can't I can't recall what, what Forrest Gump Forrest Gump won the best adaptation yeah. for the book yeah there you go so you do that so you go to the Oscars that must be awesome so then that now, was awesome after the Oscars you keep I mean I said you constantly work so yeah. what what is it after you get out of that movie do people sit there and look at you 
differently because of the role you played or, or now has your what you auditioned for changed like you it's know it's been a double-edged sword you know at the premiere of Shawshank um Deborah Quilla and a woman called Bonnie Timmerman who was a huge feature film casting director they stopped me they said she said that you are going to be so busy and I was but it never played out the way I thought it was going to play out um and I think that's, you know, Shawshank was a bit of a curse for me because, you know, I have never, to this day, in a 30-some year career, I have never auditioned for, like, a comedy, sitcom. They just think, and, and the word is, my agent was like, yeah, they just don't see you in it because they see you as this evil character. And, and that, that, it got in the way. But interestingly enough, I mean, I've done some... The further Shawshank, it's like we, we went to the 20th reunion recently, uh, which is really great, you know, to get to see, you know, Tim Robbins and Morgan again. And So where do they do, like, a, like for that, like, wh where do you guys have a 20th reunion? It's like DGA? Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. it was fabulous. You know, you got to see the film on the big screen and with all the sound. I'll never watch it again. I'm done. I will never watch it again. Because at the, we sat there, the sound was perfect on the big screen. It's a great, great movie. It really is. I just I'm done. I'm, I I can't do it anymore. And it's it's harsh because that's hard because it's it's on TV so much. It's like if yeah. you flip around, you're probably like won't uh, do it. Yeah, I mean I I'm the same way. Well, for me, I won't. I can't watch stuff on TV with commercials. I can't yeah. watch. You know, like you sit there and you flip around. Like if I see Goodfellas on a on A and E or whatever. Yeah. I love that movie, but I'm like yeah. you can't watch it. I mean, I'll watch it for a little bit, but it's like it just loses. Once there's a commercial, it just loses it. And it really, yeah. like you know, we were talking about this the other day. How when you used to get cable, when AMC used to be commercial free. So you could watch a movie. Now it's like, okay, well, they have great series. But right. now it's like you watch AMC for the series. You, know, you forget they even have movies. Right, right. Yeah, we. I just had an AMC movie come out. This I was in Whitney. Okay, yeah. And I, I play Clive Davis. That's funny because when I was going through your resume, yeah. I saw that. And the funny is last night when we got off and we walked down from uh, Seven Seat Station to uh, Staples, right. we passed by the Grammy Museum and there's a thing with Clive Davis. That's what cracked me up when I was sitting there. When I saw that, I went, oh my God, that's so funny. Yeah, I'm going to show you. The, I mean, really, and that is one of the best times I've had on a movie set in a long, long while. What made it so fun? Angela Bassett. Okay. But check this out, bro. That's me. God, you look just like him. That's insane. People, yeah. You can't see this uh, picture, but go. You, if you look up Mark Ralston and you see him, and then you look up Clive Davis, you see that they look nothing alike. But yeah. if you look at him in this picture, he looks it's just amazing. like Clive it's amazing. Davis. Yeah, we, we had a great time. A Angela's just like full of energy and um, um, a number of reviews that came out. One review, it was great. They said, if they ever do a biopic of Clive Davis, Mark Ralston is sure to play him. Hey, that's, was, and you yeah. know that's going to happen because, yeah. you know, it's just one of those things. Now, now, you said about the comedy, though, but you wrote an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. How'd that happen? I mean, did, did you... Yeah. I mean, I've heard the auditions for that are just like... I had someone who's... I know someone who's been on it and then like, Larry just doesn't... He's Larry, you know. He's Larry. Like he just sits there and goes, eh, you know. So yeah. How, but how was that? How did you did you know Larry? Did they know of your work? No. They, yeah. He he knew of my work. Um, but basically, you get in there and he hands you a you know three by five card with just like an, an improv setup, and you riff on it. And it's it's hysterical because you get on set and you've got like twenty people, all of whom have these cards. Okay. And they're all have a different <laughs> intention, and it's mayhem. It's absolute mayhem. But then Larry comes and he goes, um, "I like that. Do that thing there, but you know, don't don't say don't say that. You know, don't don't, don't cuss." 
and then you'd whittle it all down, and then you'd do the little bit, and that was the show. It was it was pretty fascinating. Now, as you're doing all these different roles, and you're it's funny because I saw one murder she wrote. You played a few different characters, like but you but the weird thing is like now they never do that because you, like you can be on, but it's fair because you played two characters two different times. Yeah, which I mean, as I because I'm I pay attention to this stuff. I would notice that, but other people don't. Uh, so what's it like when you always have to go, when you're going for these different characters? I mean, do you is it, is it the audition process hard because you're you're always you know it's a different role. Like I saw in Criminal Minds, you played a sheriff or this, you know, and then Shawshank, and then you know everything. I mean, what? How do you get yourself prepared for the for the audition? You know, I was thinking about that the other day, and I think the biggest thing is is a you know I have a classical foundation, so you know we did a lot of character work when I was training, but. Um, I think the most important thing is is just imagination. I mean, you know, really imagining it and putting yourself there. It's like I met just uh, two days ago for a, uh, a Disney show, and you know, you're in this other world. It's you know, it's like a DC comic world, and you just have to go there in your mind. Um, and that's you know, like for me, like I've, I've always been a good mimic, but I also I have a really vivid imagination, and I can just throw myself into it because you know a role like Shawshank or even the role of Ali when I was Drake in Aliens I mean you know you can't go home with this stuff right right but um, yeah I think it's just the strength of that and in preparation you, you, you do a lot of research like when I was playing Clive you know the internet's a wonderful thing see that's it also yeah now it's so much easier oh, it's I mean, way better oh you, you can you can actually look at tapes like you know yeah. we couldn't I mean I always think about when you when I was in college you go to the library and there's it was a big step up when we got microfiche right. and I was like oh my god microfiche because we used to walk on you know, like, like the newspapers were in those uh, wood things and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you sit there and now it's like I mean like just today I was taking a walk and I was like hey, you know what I want to hear because it's sunny out and that song by Springsteen girls in the summer clothes has been stuck in my head so I go into my phone I don't I go to YouTube I pop it on I'm not gonna watch video I'm taking a walk you know yep. And I hear it, and yeah. it's it's at disposable. It's like we can find anything, and for an actor, that must be great, just because Phenomenal. you can actually sit there and go, okay, even just if you have to learn an accent or a different, you know, I mean, it's does it. But do you find it? Do you did did you do you miss when you actually had to do the research? Because like that's like anything. Sometimes I mean, do you miss that? Because that was probably part of the process, and you were used to it, and it was probably made it exciting. Because it's like anything, we get challenged if we can't find something. You know, it's like right. when you can't find who was in that pic. Oh, you know, like when I go to IMDb, I want to find who an actor is, on so I can try to get him on the show. <laughs> and it's like it's a new, let's say, Criminal Minds, and right. I tell me, oh, that's not an IMDb yet, and or there's not, an, and then you sit there. I mean, do you miss that part? Yeah, you know, I was thinking, you know, when I was preparing for The Departed. Uh, um, Mr. Scorsese actually gave us like a list of books that he'd suggest that we read. And this one particular book called Black Mass, which was, you know, uh, very in-depth and detailed, uh, uh, you know, recounting of the whole FBI setup. You know, the FBI had actually kept Whitey Bulger uh, in the witness protection program. And at the same time, Bulger was running Boston. I mean, he, he was, you know, in a federal pro witness protection program. And he's killing people. And he's running drugs. He's he was just a loose cannon. Um, so that 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 was sort of very key uh, research. And I you know I I love that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, uh, when I was preparing for Whitney, you know, you just scour the internet. I found some fantastic interviews of 
Mr. Davis and was able to, you know, cull his accent that way, but also right down to, you know, he's got a little bit of a, a smirk. It's like a, I, I even, you know, did that in the film and it, that's, that's a treat. You know, obviously doing someone who's, who's alive can make, you know, I, I'm glad I pulled it off because if I hadn't, you know, Oh, you get trashed. Yeah, you get trashed. Yeah. Now, have you heard from him? Or I have indirectly. His uh, his assistant is friends with a very good friend of my wife's, and we had a little viewing party, and uh, our friend Shirley came around, and she said, "Oh, by the way, um, my friend says that uh, Mr. Davis thought favorably of you," and I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." See, that's got to be great. That's though, really. I mean, because you do have that pressure that you're playing someone who's alive, and and that's the thing. It's it's and you know, I would think, what if you know, like some of these people go, "Oh God." you know this person was this person was awful I mean like if I, if I was someone famous and then someone played me and they stunk I'd want to punch him yeah right like, what, what are you doing yeah, to me? you made me look like a dick you know yeah, it's yeah. like it's so but that's good that he he yeah. liked you yeah now, now and I also saw like earlier in your career like in the early 2000s you were in The Shield for a few episodes yeah now I've had uh, Reed Diamond was on and you know he was got shot in the first <laughs> season but that was one of my, and I had David Marciano who was on that was one of my favorite shows what was that like because that was it seems like a, I heard it was a really nice set though. I heard everyone was nice yeah they were they were uh, Michael Chiklis and uh, the, the writers producers were great um, yeah they were real nice it was um, I, I, what happened for me was I was playing this private investigator that was going to be helping Mackie um, um, find his wife his wife had Scarper, right. right, and he had to find her, and I thought it was a really cool plot line. But oddly enough, you know, after the first episode, it was as if they didn't know what to do with me, and it was really unfortunate because I, I created a really cool character, and um, yeah, that was one of those ones where you just, I don't know, you didn't know why they, they kind of put me in a, you know, in a, in a, in a corner, and sort of wrote me into a corner. And, that but must I, suck, though. Like when it you, does, and it does. And plus, if it's, if it's a good project, I mean, if it, if it was a bad project, you'd be like, all right, write me into the corner, wow. you know? Wow. But if it's a good project, it must stink just because, you know, and, and you know it's not your talent. You know, it's not that. It's just that stories go, and like, I mean, when you first saw The Shield and then go to, like, the last season, you know, you didn't see any of that. I mean, that stuff, that's like a car chase. You yeah. know, it goes all over the place. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the, the vagaries of you know why you'd be in it, why you wouldn't be. It's 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 so wide and varied, and, and like you say, it's never really about us. It's just about other decisions that people have to make. Um, I but I recall uh, I did this movie called Hard Rain, originally called The Flood. Great script. The original script, the original Flood script, was fantastic. It was basically a, 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 an armored car heist in a little town. Okay, and then a, a, a torrential rain comes through right in the midst of the guys you know doing this heist and then what ensues well <laughs> they ended up homogenizing this thing into oblivion it was like milk toast and it was well christian slater and Rennie driver and all of a sudden they made it into the love story about them and it took all the grit out of it and oh my god it was it, it was a fun shoot but the funniest thing was, was I go to the premiere of it, and I'm sitting next to Betty White. Movie plays, movie ends, and there's this real tepid, right? <laughs> I mean, the worst <laughs> applause I'd ever heard at a premiere. And Betty touched my arm, and she leans over, and she goes, ooh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> 
That makes it all worthwhile, though. Oh, she's a doll. She's she's hysterical. I mean, I'll never forget. We were on set one day. It was Randy Quaid and myself and and Betty. And Betty launches into a series of off-color jokes that if you and I had told them, we would have been slapped. Right. She told some of the most <laughs> salacious things, and I'm, I was blushing, and she starts giggling because I'm blushing. But, you know, this sweet little lady, and they were filthy. Now, you said Randy Quaid. Now, yeah. recently, I don't know if you've seen, he's pretty much gone off the far end. Yeah, did, did, he, did he seem like together back then? Because, I mean, yeah. it's the stuff now where you see it's It's not like joking around. It's like, oh, my it's, God, this guy needs help. And it's scary because it scares you because anything like that is. And the funny thing is, people, you know, you don't want somebody like that to have a lot of money because they, you know, because he's had a very well career because then yeah. they can do whatever they want. But did he seem on the rails back like normal back all. then? I mean, no, it's just, totally. I mean, it's he, just amazing. He actually took me to play golf and put up with my i had had a golf lesson two days before and it completely screwed me up. And I get out there and I'm like, Randy, I'm so sorry. He's a really fine golfer. But yeah, I, I, I never saw that in a million years. And he was a, he was a sweetheart. Um, he seems like he'd be a good guy, but you know. Yeah. So now The Departed, how did that come about? And that must have been, I mean, I think any actor to hear that they're, one, they're, they can, Scorsese's going to direct it. And then two, oh yeah, by the way, DiCaprio and Nicholson are in it. I mean, yeah. and then Matt Damon was in it, and just an amazing. Howard Baldwin. Yeah, it's just an amazing cast. Mark Wahlberg. How did that come up? How did that audition come about? Did did they know you? Or did your agency you got to read for this? Because that's like a big ass movie. Big ass movie. And now, now you that, that shot in New York, right? Shot in New York and okay. Boston. So you went back and yeah, yeah. yeah. No, how did the audition come out? And were you nervous at all? Because I mean, I know you've had worked so much, but it's still it's like anything. It, it's Scorsese. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, just came about through the agency uh, that were going to read, you know, read me for this. I guess they all the roles they offered out. Obviously, they never read anybody for, but they have this role they were reading people. Thank God, um, fabulous scene. I mean, the the scene I really, I mean, I wanted to do the role because it had this phenomenal death scene, and it's a pivotal part in the movie. Like once I die, you know, all the action really starts in this script. Um, you know, phenomenal. Get the script, and I remember sitting at home, and once we got to the part where I get shot, this script, you know, Bill Monahan, a great writer, it just takes off, and every page, somebody dies. And I kept flipping the pages and going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And my wife was like, what are you oh my Godding about? I said, honey, there's somebody dying every page now. I get, this is unbelievable. And then, of course... They kill the hero, which is unheard of. Right. Which really, I thought that made The Departed extra special. Like they had the balls to kill the lead guy. Um, but amazing! I had like four different auditions. Uh, you know, I did the first time, and you know, I, I can do a Boston accent pr pretty well. And uh, came back. Um, yeah, the, the note was from Marty. Was like, y y y die better. You could have died better. It was like, okay. And, how, and it's funny, as an actor, how do you take that? Like, wait, <laughs> die better? I'm, I'm, I'm dying. I mean, you know. Yeah, exactly. So you just did it. But I did four different tapings, right? And then obviously, Mr. Scorsese, like, you know, chose me. And I'll never forget the day I was driving to the Beverly Hills Hotel. And he was in one of the bungalows. And uh, hysterical. I get there, and I'm just basically dressed the way I dress for all the other auditions, because um, they said you're, you're going to have to do everything. And I get there, and I pull. What up. do you mean? What do you mean? Do everything? You're going to do every single line. Okay. In the movie. Okay. 
whether it was a scene or not, like you read every single word that your character was going to say, which I found amazing. I mean, that's never happened to me before. Um, but I pull up to the valley parking and I'm out of gas. <laughs> I, I was so excited. I was out of gas. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? I'm up the hill here. Where's there a gas station anywhere nearby? So I get out of the car and I, I say to the valet, I said, sir, I'm out of gas. I said, please, here. I give him like 40 bucks. I said, please, get me some gas. I got to go meet, you know, Martin Scorsese in here. And the guy's like, don't worry. I'll, I'll take care. I'll take care of you. I was like, really? Okay, great. So we get there and there's like Anthony. Um, oh, my God. He's in the blackish. TV show, Anthony... Anthony Anderson. Anderson, there we go. I was supposed to say Anthony Andrews, but he's a white guy. Right, Anthony Anderson. Um, so he and I are sitting there with a couple other people, and you're in this courtyard, and then you just were summarily, like, come up to the room. Now, I'm going to tell this story, and if, if Martin Scorsese ever hears this, I'll never work for him again. <laughs> but you get ushered into the room, and then there's Marty. And he's impeccable. I mean, from the glasses to his perfect, he's quaffed and dressed to, like, perfection. You know, just not a stitch out. And he goes, Mark, good to see you. Come on, come on, sit down here. Yeah, sit. Yeah, that's great. Great, 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 great to see you. Yeah. And he sits down in a chair across from me, and his feet are a foot off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and I almost, I almost lost it. I smiled. I know I smiled. But I almost completely gut laughed. <laughs> yeah, it's like one of those things. You're like, wait a second, it's the wizard. He's, he's it's tiny. the wizard. <laughs> but we go through the entire thing. Entire thing. Thank God I get out of it. The, the, the guy gave. He had a, apparently had like emergency gas there. The guy put in like a couple of gallons. I give him twenty twenty dollars. I thank you so very much. Half an hour later, you get the call, and those are always the most special moments. You, know, you get the call, and it's like, you booked it. Blah, 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 blah. The money's gonna suck because you know they like you know that's amazing. You work for one of the greatest directors of all time, and you know you don't pay no money, right? And they the word came back is like if your agents if you you call back and try and counter in any way, the part's gone, right? Okay, and this and imagine like they stuff it to you, but of course it was decent money, of course, and we worked for a long time and being able, and being on a set like that. Oh yeah. That was huge shit. I mean, and, you know, really moments like this that just kind of puff you up a bit, make you feel good. First time on the set uh, with Jack Nichols. That's I mean, amazing. I mean, one of those great, great actor. And uh, one of the other actors who've been working with him, he goes, he, he goes, oh, Jack, 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 here, look, uh, you know, I want to introduce you. And he goes to introduce me, and he, Jack stops the guy, and he goes, no, no, I know who he is. I know who you are. Good to see you. And I was like, wow, wow. Jack Nicholson knows That's about so me. That's so cool, man. Very cool. But you got to know. Everyone, I mean, it's like this busy. Everyone knows everyone. I've never just noticed that. Everyone knows. Well, yeah, everyone. but you don't expect But you don't expect it. Jack Nicholson. Yeah, they're like. But they watch. They watch TV they movies. Yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a few minutes. Just a few minutes left. So what's All coming right. up? What do you have coming up on the, on the docket? Well, uh, other than Whitney, if people, if you can catch it, it's really, really well done. And, and I do. I'm so proud of that turn. But then I've also been doing this uh, AMC series called Turn, Washington Spies. It's a Revolutionary War period piece. Uh, we just completed the second season. comes up in April. 
and it's really, really, really well done. Excellent writing, um, 95% historically accurate, but like with most cable things these days, they kind of sex it up a little bit. Brian Finney's in it, I think. Yep. Yeah, okay, yep. Brian was on show. Yeah, he's, he's yep. a good guy. Yeah, yeah. and it's, uh, it's, it's really well done. I just came back from filming in uh, Colonial Williamsburg, so it's like just amazing period sets, and the costume designer is phenomenal, and um, yeah. So that's, that's, that's uh, what's most recent. And then, you know, I was telling you earlier, I've got my Pitbull manager. I'm going to mention her name, Abby, Abby Sibikow McDonald, and she is phenomenal. She's going to get me a TV series this year. Good. You need a TV series. What kind of, what kind of role would you like to play? Well, you know, I, I, I love playing cops. Uh, you know, it's hard, hard to say. I mean, I'm like, dude, I, I, I'm a character man. That's what I do. I I. It's 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 a joy becoming a whole bunch of different characters, and uh, so I have I have no like one thing in mind. I know when I read it and I see it, that you'll know. I'll create it, but uh, yeah, I want this TV series because I got to write the check for my last kid's college. Where did where did my my youngest is in New York at the New School? It's like right near NYU. She's I mean she's having the time of her life, but you know, it's, co- college yeah. these days. Jesus, I, I know my my college went from being like. Ten to nine. I mean, I'll talk to you after. It's just so funny. I went from I went from paying thirty two fifty a credit when I was there for a state school to now I looked. It's like fifteen thousand. Like, fifteen thousand. Like we got it for six thousand. Anyway, I want to thank you for coming on, Mark. Hey, man, it was a pleasure. Now, are, are, do you social media? Do you tweet or anything? Are you no, I don't. I'm I'm really averse to it. I I I, I, I did Facebook for a week. I had my daughter. I was paying her like to, like a little job she could do to manage it for me. And within one week. She came to me and said, Dad, um, there's some lady who says she wants to marry you and have your baby. Like, do you know her? And my wife is is Cuban, Mexican, Irish. Yeah, no, she has smoke that. that comes out of every orifice. <laughs> and I'm telling you, she she came in there and she said, who is this person? What have you been doing? I was like, oh, my God, stop. So I, I literally told my daughter, kill it. Okay. Well, you should get on Twitter, though. You should, because you know, you can just tweet. No one can send you messages if you don't follow them. You can just tweet what's going on. Yeah. Talk to your talk to your manager. She'll say because that's good. People know you played Clive, and that's always cool. I guess so. Yeah. So I want to thank you for coming on. Hey, man, my pleasure. See you, people. Fun. Go check out his IMDb. Go to Mark Ralston. Check it out, and uh, go watch uh, Shawshank again and Departed. And you go, you'll hear some stories behind it, and that, you know, <laughs> that's great. Also, people, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. If you go to my website, coopertalk.net, I have about 340 episodes up, I believe. You can also find all my past episodes. Type in one word, Cooper Talk, at iTunes or Stitcher. And send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net. Also, go to my new website, stopthesalt.com. My new book, Stop uh, Stop the Salt, Low-Sodium Cooking for One Without Killing Yourself, is now available on Amazon or through my website. If you go through my website, stopthesalt.com, it's the same price as Amazon, and I'll sign it for you if you want. I know that sounds pompous. I was asking my girlfriend, I said, does, does, that, does that sound weird if I say to people, oh, I'll sign your book? But, you know, if you listen to the show and you want to eat healthy, I mean, you know, you, you listen to me through my health problems, and now my cardiologist said I'm healthier than ever. So go to stopthesalt.com. Dot com. Buy the book. It's $9.99, $3.99 shipping. I'll sign it for you. I have a bunch in stock. Why don't I have 50? So hopefully they sell out and I'll have to get more. And so, yeah. So also, I want to give a shout out to a few of my affiliates. I want to give a shout out to Brody James over there at allradiox.com. Steve Benz at WSDICHicago.com. The crazy guys at rantradio.com. And the 405media.com, which is a very funny, it's a very conservative uh, political website. And they just have me, I think, on for just relief because I'm 
just I'm down the middle. It doesn't make any sense. So that's about it. Uh, check out Mark Ralston on IMDb. Also follow me at Cooper Talk. That's on Twitter at Cooper Talk. And the book Stop the Salt is a project dear to my heart. It's uh, just go buy it. Get healthy, people, because we don't want you to die. Because if you die, you can't listen to me anymore, and you know what? You won't be able. To, what's going to happen on your, you know, on your cell phone? Anyway, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. Drink your water. Eat your vegetables. Take your vitamins. Have a wonderful weekend. <laughs>